my button. Now you push your button. Hey everyone and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Today's the third Wednesday of the month, which means it's time for Dr. Stefan Esser, and he's going to be talking about nutrition and knee pain. Could they be related? We'll find out. Please welcome him to the show. How are things in sunny Florida while I'm sitting here freezing? Well, you're cold, but it's raining here, so it's not as sunny today. So, oh, ah, that's right. You don't have to feel too like you're having uh, right, well, missing out. Freezing. Wow. Well, well, that is that is. I love your drawing behind you. It's so perfect. It kind of looks like a knee to me. We're gonna get it built out and started. You know, I thought today would be great to start a pattern of topics that maybe we could talk about. You know, that are that are focused because a lot of the topics I feel like I do are kind of big and global. And I wanted to start nibbling off specific areas for folks. And we'll kind of maybe do a, just go step-by-step step through different areas of the body. Um, but I also wanted us to be able to interact quite a bit. So if people have a bunch of questions, feel free to throw them in with a box with you and then you can, uh, you know, bounce them off as we go along. Does that sound that good? That sounds great because people always send in questions in advance when it's you. They may not necessarily be on knee pain, but we do have a lot of questions. Good. We'll have fun with it. So here we are, Dr. Esther's Prescription for Health. And as you said today, we're going to be talking about knee pain and nutrition. And as a reminder, love to have anybody who wants to hang out with me at Esther Health on social media. Or if you're in Florida and want to do a sports medicine consult, there's my sports medicine work at essersports.com. So... My goal is I want to visit the anatomy classroom with you. I want to discuss common knee conditions and then talk about this intersection between kind of the knee, the joints, the structures, and what you do nutritionally. Because as it turns out, these are powerful uh, sort of intersections that you and I can influence our joints a lot. And then I want to help you develop a game plan, right, as we're taking some of your questions. Because knee pain is almost almost ubiquitous, it would seem, as so many people struggle with knee pain as they age. Uh, and in fact, it's one of the leading causes of disability-adjusted life years right after back pain and neck pain. So the knees are very common joints to have issues with, and we want to help you kind of preserve and protect those knees long-term. Let's get into the basics, the human knee itself. Let's look at the anatomy. So you see it on the screen. I'm going to draw it here as well. Um, we've got the femur, right? Which is the big thigh bone. Actually, I'm going to stop sharing for a minute so we can see that screen even better. Um, so you can see the femur is your thigh bone. The tibia is, of course, the leg bone. And if this were the right knee we're looking at, on the outside of the knee is also the fibula, right? The little smaller bone out here. And on the ends of the bones are smooth layers of cartilage. So we've got these smooth layer of cartilage you think of it kind of like an ice skating rink, how smooth that is. At least that's how it is when you first come out of your mother's womb. Uh, but over time, we begin to lose that smoothness due to injury, trauma, etc. But this cartilage is made up of chondrocytes, little tiny cells that make up this layer. And as with all the cells, excuse me, in your body, these cells are alive. And so it's crucial to remember that these cells are alive, meaning they are influenced by what you do by what you drink, by what you eat, by the exercise you get, the sleep you get, the inflammation in your body, et cetera. Uh, deep inside the knee, of course, you got your ACL. You hear about that, a big anterior cruciate ligament. It's a big ligament that stabilizes the knee. 
from keeping the uh, two bones in alignment so the tibia doesn't shear forward. And then the PCL does the opposite. It keeps the uh, tibia from going backwards. And then we've got the lateral collateral ligament and the medial collateral or MCL ligament. These ligaments are made up of fibers and it's extremely dense like a rope that holds you together. But ligament strength can be influenced also by nutrition, by what we eat, by the level of hydration we maintain, by the health of our collagen as well. And then deep inside the joint are, are these articular discs, uh, what are called meniscus, right? In the case of the knee here. And these menisci, if you were to pull them out and look at them from on top, are actually kind of this C-shaped structure made of these various concentric rings of collagen. And it's very dense, it's very thick. And it's amazing how well it kind of keeps your knees healthy over time. Now you've heard of tearing the meniscus and certainly you can get tears in it. Uh, most of the time those tears are asymptomatic, but if they're big enough and a piece flips up into the joint, it can create loss of range of motion, swelling in the joint, et cetera. So these are the primary structures uh, you know, at the heart of the knee itself. Now, we're gonna go look here on these nice drawing or images here. And here you see the bones themselves with those various ligaments I mentioned and the meniscus inside. You also notice on this image here, this smooth articular surface and all those living chondrocytes. Now inside the knee, in this whole area where the chondrocytes are, there is fluid, it's called synovial fluid, and it lubricates the knee and it also feeds the knee. It delivers nutrients, it delivers oxygen. So as a result, that knee is constantly lubricated, much like a mechanical structure in your car that always has oil on it, right? That keeps it lubricated so friction is not as high and wear is not as rapid. Around the knee are a host of muscles. So you can see these muscles with names like the rectus femoris, the vastus lateralis, medialis, and intermedius. These muscles make up the quads, right? So the four muscles, vastus lateralis, medialis, intermedius, and rectus femoris. These extend the knee up and down. And as you'll notice, these quad muscles come up and insert close to or just past the hip. A couple other muscles that are important, you've got your hip flexor or iliopsoas that helps to lift your knee towards your chest. And all of these adductor muscles that connect from the middle of your pelvis bone, right near where the vagina and the penis insert up that area, uh, all the way down to the inner thigh and down to the knee. Uh, one thing I will comment on is all too many of us have really tight groin muscles or these muscles, these adductor muscles. And so something you should do every single day is stretch those adductors out because with time, with age, it appears they shortened and as they shorten, now they alter the mechanics uh, across the knee joint downstream. Another area of overlap from up by the hip are all the hip muscles up here, your glute medius, minimus, your TFL. These muscles control the alignment of the knee downstream. So notice this long white band here, this is called your IT band. And if your muscles upstream at the hip are weak, then the IT band gets tight and you get lateral knee pain. If the muscles up by the hip are strong, then the IT band is more relaxed and you're less likely to have lateral knee pain. Notice on this image, all the white areas, these are the tendons and some of this, the capsule. So the knee, as with all joints in the body, 
has a thin layer of fibrous tissue around it that is called the capsule. And that capsule is like a little sack or a bag and it keeps everything inside that knee, right? It keeps the fluid inside that knee so that as I mentioned, it stays well lubricated. Also round the knee are some very important structures. You see these little blue areas here. These are bursas, they are fluid filled sacs. A bursa is a fluid filled sac that is in between two hard objects. It could be between a ligament and a bone or a tendon and a bone. And as a result, that bursa absorbs some of the impact of activity or the chronic friction of activity, uh, thereby reducing the wear and tear of the two hard structures. Now, if you irritate that bursa, it can swell up. And now you have this swollen bursa. That's the classic bursitis that an individual may have. We feel everything in the knee through our nerves. And the primary nerves that feed the knees come down the front of the thigh called the femoral nerve there. And then it breaks into all these small branches. Uh, and then on the back of the thigh here, we see the sciatic nerve coming down and breaking into some of the tibial nerve as well as the common perineal. And so these nerves are controlling not only our feeling around the knee, but also the strength of the various muscle groups that surround the knee. I want you to know more about your body because your body's amazing, you're amazing. And so it's worthwhile to keep coming back to these basics, but you understand yourself better. Why? Because so that you can also get better healthcare. Because if you have an injury, if your knee bothers you, you wanna be able to say, it bothers me in this area. And then when the doctor says, oh, it's this diagnosis, you go, okay, that makes sense. And you can make a better informed decision about the care that you receive. So all of these nerves play a part in our pain experience. And as I mentioned, also our strength around that joint. Also, I don't have a picture of it right here, but all the blood vessels that wrap around the knee are crucial to remember. The nerves require blood flow. The bones require blood flow. The tendons, the ligaments, the capsule, every single one of your cells requires blood flow. And so we need wide open blood vessels that are perfusing the tissue well. Let's talk about how things can go bad. I'm gonna take off screen share for a moment. And let's point out here. So when you think about it, right, cartilage can begin to wear down. We call that osteoarthritis. Cartilage can also get little injuries, like little scooped out potholes. If you've ever heard of it, that's called an osteochondral defect or an OCD. Then we've got the bone itself. The bone, of course, can get fractures. It can get osteoporosis, right? Or it can get tumors of various kinds. So those are the common things that can occur in the bone. Uh, ligaments, of course, can either get sprained through uh, some motion or movement, slipping, falling, a sporting event, tripping on something, or they can tear, right? If they get fully injured. The meniscus itself can degenerate where it begins to dry out much like our skin or the discs in our back, or it can tear and then the nerves can get neuropathies from things like diabetes, from toxic exposures, from injury. And we also can injure blood vessels with things like deep vein thromboses or DVTs. Those are some of the more common things that can occur in and around the knee. Now, as we go to the next, we'd say common pain generators. What are the things in your knee that can commonly cause pain? Well, they include cartilage, as I mentioned, where it wears down, becomes arthritic, gets inflamed, the meniscus getting torn, tendons, 
right? We don't have the tendons drawn on here, but there are tendons, which are where the muscle connects to the bone, right? A tendon connects a muscle to a bone and a ligament connects a bone to another bone. And so these tendons can get tendinopathy, which is inflammation in the tendons, or they can tear. So a lot of different things that can go wrong. Uncommon pain generators that you need to keep in the back of your mind when you start developing knee pain include low back referred pain, where you pinch a nerve in the back and it refers pain down into the thigh and the knee. Peripheral nerve problems, as I mentioned, as well as, as I mentioned, things like DVTs or blood clots, very important. I had a person the other day call me up and say, can you look at my knee? And after examination, I said, this is not a mechanical issue, ultrasounded and found a clot. And that can, of course, be very dangerous because those clots can go to your lungs and as a result, cause death, which we don't want. So, you know, want to keep in the back of your mind, there are a bunch of different things that can cause knee pain. You want to make sure you've got the right diagnosis. Let's start with the low hanging fruit with the easy thing, knee osteoarthritis. This is the most common problem in the human knee. Out of our control, of course, are our age, or is our age, over the age of 65 as a direct increased risk. Our genetics, in, which includes our uh, gender, so for women, or I should say our biologic sex, women have higher rates of knee arthritis than men do. Then we've got previous traumas. So if you've injured your knee, jumping off you know, the pickup truck when you were in high school or jumping off your grandfather's uh, shed onto the ground, uh, you know, some little thing like that or a big thing can have caused trauma in the knee. Um, and as a result, now that trauma leads to progressive degeneration of the joint. And that's where we develop arthritis. Now, in our control would be things like our weight, our muscle balance, inflammation, blood pressure, uh, along with the activities that we do on a regular basis. So let's break that down a little bit more. It turns out that our weight is perhaps one of the greatest predictive risk factors of osteoarthritis in the joint. It is one of the leading risk factors for a knee replacement, increasing your risk by anywhere from 200 to 500%. So if you're carrying extra weight right now, and if you're wondering if you are, it's simple for most of us, uh, and that is to look in the mirror and say, oh yeah, I'm carrying a little extra weight, right? If you're unsure, then certainly checking weight, waist hip circumference, which you can look up online on evaluating your amounts of visceral fat, et cetera, this is valuable. Uh, but knowing if we have that increased weight that not only are we overloading the joint biomechanically, but the fat itself is releasing adipokines, these inflammatory molecules that circulate into the joint. See, it's uh, sometimes tempting for us to think that this exists on its own, almost like a separate little encapsulated universe. But the studies show us that the blood that flows throughout our body is also flowing into this area. And so when you consume something unhealthy and when you are maintaining visceral fat deposits in particular, you now have these little molecules that are circulating through the bloodstream called adipokines. And these little molecules that are extremely inflammatory enter in via the blood vessels to the synovial fluid. There they flow through the joint. And when they get to these chondrocytes, they actually stimulate a cat catabolic cascade. What does that mean? catabolism is of course to break down. And so what occurs is this increased catabolism causes breakdown and degradation of the cartilage layer. 
Unfortunately, this is a 24-7 process when you have these adipokines circulating in your bloodstream. This is why it's absolutely essential that if you're carrying extra weight and you care about your knees, to make changes and now, and every single meal, and every single snack, right? That you're making decisions that help you to reduce inflammation and reduce the overload of weight. Now, we know that there are two primary ways to reduce weight, and that's either through caloric reduction by volume control or caloric reduction through a calorie density model. I'm gonna see if Chef AJ can bounce back in here for a minute, uh, you know, because she always has such great stuff on this topic. If she's uh, not here right now, that's fine. Um, but I'm here, I, I'm here. Yeah. I just took myself off camera because oh, it good. makes a better presentation. I just love you to, because this is like, I'm going to pull that up again. I just love it. Like, this is your baby. Uh, I often feel like. <laughs> well, can you, can I, just, didn't, just, I didn't like, invent it. I didn't invent no, it. I Nature did, you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I just love you. If you would give give us like two or three things on calorie density of maybe why you think it's so powerful, why you think it's the best, you know, whatever it might be. I well, just because, love to hear that. Because when you, when you take the water and the fiber out of the food, which is basically animal products and processed food, you just exponentially increase calorie density. It, it's just, you know, we didn't, we've always had animal products, but our ancestors didn't eat them as frequently as they do now. And certainly not the kind that they have now. And we didn't have processed food throughout most of human history. We had the green foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, nuts, seeds, and avocado occasionally, but they were seasonal. I mean, if you just eat like your great, 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 great grandparents did, you'll be fine. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think I also would comment that the, uh, you know, nobody wants to, you know, let's go back to this. Nobody wants to control their volume. Like that's very inhumane. I, I I even think it's very, you know, it's not natural, right? I mean, no other creature on earth controls how much it eats. It eats until it's full. And when it hits that state of satiety, right? Then it kind of moves on. And and so when we think about weight loss for our knees, we, we really want to hone in on this. Then we're wanting to do something that's sustainable long-term, that it's highly effective. And it doesn't leave us kind of like in a state of like, oh, I wish I could have more of that. Uh, because rather we can focus in on, yeah, you can eat all you want of these foods. And of course, those foods, uh, I think the majority of your viewers out there know this slide well, you know, put out there by Jeff Novick back in the 1990s, um, you know, but just kind of looking at this and reminding ourselves of that, you know, that, you know, these are all equal in calories, right? Which is pretty crazy, right? 20 times that amount of, of, of greens, right? This amount of blueberries, that amount, so on and so forth. So you kind of get a sense of the volume of things that you could consume, you know, right? Massive quantities of kale, right? And versus, you know, tablespoon and a half or so of oil, um, so we just want to keep that in mind because studies would show us that the people who consume the most plants have on average a five unit BMI lower than those who are eating the standard American diet. And so the more of these plants that we can consume at every single meal, at every single snack, uh, you can begin to see that visceral fat storage decline. And as a result, the amount of adipokine production goes down. And in addition, just the total weight drops on your joints. Because remember, one pound above the waist is three to 10 on each knee. That's the physics of it. So as you are squatting, bending, stair climbing, running, jogging, um, if you're carrying an extra 10 pounds, that's up to 100 extra pounds on your knees. 
And I would comment to you, this is so important to remember something. I have a lot of people who say to me, I'm going to exercise, or they'll say this, I put on 20 pounds because I can't exercise, right? And the problem is then they relate exercise being their weight loss tool. And first of all, the science doesn't validate that. It says that uh, consuming a micronutrient-dense plant-based diet uh, actually results in more of weight loss than exercise does while eating the standard American diet. Uh, but that exercise is wonderful for a lot of other reasons, including for weight maintenance, um, but not necessarily in and by itself as a weight loss tool. So what's crucial though, is if we relate exercise to weight loss and say, the only way I can lose weight is to exercise. Well, if you have a bad knee, then you begin to go, well, how am I going to exercise? And although there are hundreds of other muscles to exercise, it's nice to be able to run, jog, move, you know, et cetera, uh, through space with your knee and with impact without pain. And so that becomes a vicious cycle. My knee hurts, so I don't exercise. I still need dopamine, so I reach for calorie-dense foods. I put on more weight, and now my knee hurts even more. And so we've got to kind of get into that cycle and break it. And I think the place to start is going to be with that micronutrient-dense food rather than with running on the knee, let's say taking a bunch of anti-inflammatory drugs and running on it, because as you're running, you're still destroying the cartilage. And that increased weight is overloading the joint. So we don't want to get out the other side of losing some weight and be like, well, now my knee is toast because I did lose some weight exercising hard and eating better, but now I can't even walk because my knee is such bad arthritis. Now, the second area, you know, I want to comment on is on blood flow. We, we saw on this picture here how the blood vessels feed the joint and deliver oxygen and nutrition to the synovial fluid. And when we consume uh, very fat-rich, sugar-rich meals, these impair blood flow. And when we consume the fruits and the vegetables in a raw, minimally processed form, we improve blood flow to the tissues. Combination of vasodilatory effects of some of the anthocyanopigment-rich foods, along with the deep green vegetables being converted to nitric oxide that dilates blood vessels, uh, along with other effects that mit are mitigated through endothelial function we don't fully understand. But there's so much good stuff that occurs when these foods enter into the bloodstream. Again, wanting to remind you that food is information at the cellular level. That's not just a tagline, but an actual physiologic uh, sort of reality. So as you consume the food, it's going into your intestinal tract. And then whatever you are absorbing is going into your bloodstream. And there it is carried out like information to either increase growth, decrease growth, increase inflammation, decrease inflammation, so on and so forth. So again, continuing to think about what am I doing for my tissues? So if you've got some chronic knee pain, are the meals you're eating reducing inflammation at the cellular level, right? So I was in the gym the other day doing a bunch of squats and lunges and loaded walking, et cetera. And I immediately afterwards, I consumed two pints of raspberries <laughs> along with uh, some other food. But I was like, I need to reduce this inflammation. And I had raspberries with me where I was. And of course, right, there's some great, all those anthocyanopigments in the raspberries, along with the allergic acid and other things that reduce inflammation. So you want to make sure that your foods are, uh, you know, kind of physiologically affecting your joints in a positive way. Now, uh, one way that can negatively affect the joint health includes arachidonic acid, which you may not recall is derived from animal-based foods. And when you consume more whole food, plant-based foods, you reduce the exposure to arachidonic acid 
and thereby help to reduce the production of prostaglandins and exposure of prostaglandins to your joints. So long story short is eating all those berries and greens and bright, colorful, fresh fruits, et cetera, reduces inflammation because you're crowding out off the plate uh, more of those animal-based and refined food sources of arachidonic acid. So this all plays into the aspect of inflammation. In addition, something really fascinating uh, about the cartilage layer. I'm actually going to erase some of this for a moment because it's getting a little busy. And I want to show you. So let's put on here, right? Let's just get rid of all this internal stuff for a minute. So on the end of the tibia, let's use that as an example. We've got this nice layer of cartilage. This layer of cartilage requires oxygen. It requires CO2 to be carried away because there is cellular respiration occurring here. There's activity of these cells and it requires nutrition, right? Just like the rest of our cells, the rest of our body, the anti-inflammatory nutrition, proteins, et cetera. Now, how does all this get there? It gets there through blood vessels that travel through the bone, what are called intraosseous vessels. So these start somewhere outside the bone and go inside and then come up here. And then this blood perforates all through the cartilage layer, feeding it. You should be putting your science hat on and saying, well, okay, Dr. Esser, you're saying, right, here's a normal blood vessel, let's say, it's nice and wide open. Uh, you're saying that when I eat McDonald's and Dairy Queen and high fat, high cholesterol, high salt, high sugar foods, my blood vessels get smaller. Well, that is correct. In fact, science, as I mentioned, shows that. And so now we're getting less delivery of nutrients to the tissues. That's number one. The other thing that can decrease the size of your blood vessel are various medications, uh, chronic stress, and of course, let's not forget increased salt consumption. All of these things increase blood pressure. And when you increase blood pressure throughout the systemic circulation, you also increase what's called intraosseous or IOP, intraosseous pressure here. As that intraosseous pressure goes up, then these blood vessels get choked off at the surface and we enter into a state of low oxygen at the cartilage level. This is called uh, hypoxia, right? So it's a hypoxic state. So it turns out that as you have increased your blood pressure systemically, you decrease the amount of blood flow to your cartilage layer. And so elevated blood pressure is a risk factor for knee osteoarthritis. The good news for you is that the treatment to either prevent and or reverse high blood pressure is, you guessed it, uh, excellent nutrition and gentle exercise, the things that we prescribe all the time on this show. So the nutrition aspect, right? It improves blood flow, improves the cartilage layer and tendon health. It reduces loading through the joint because you weigh less. It reduces generalized inflammation and reduces adipokine production. So a lot of really good things that can influence your knee's health. Now, the other areas, right, that we spoke of, like the meniscus tears and things like tendon, tendinopathies, right? Uh, there is overlap with nutrition there in the sense that if you have impaired blood flow into your tissues, like the meniscus or like some tendons and ligaments, you're more likely to have injury to them. Uh, we can extrapolate the data on Achilles tendons and rotator cuff tendons that showed increased risk of tears there. 
in people who have elevated, for example, cholesterol. And of course, elevated cholesterol, a clear relationship in the majority of people to the nutrition that they follow. And so we want to, again, improve that blood flow through the changes that we're making. Some aspects, as I mentioned, of knee degeneration or knee injury are purely acute traumatic, right? Or some form of an accident that occurred. And so not directly related to nutrition. However, as with all things in the body, the better the nutrition that we are following, the, the healthier our cells are, the better the blood flow, the more rapid our recovery. So let's say that you have a meniscus tear that's flipped into the joint and blocking your motion. And you've tried some general PT, you tried an injection to free things a little bit, nothing worked. And so you went and had a arthroscopy, a surgery to remove that flipped portion of the meniscus. Well, prior to the surgery and immediately after the surgery, you should be maximizing the berries and the greens and the pineapple, right? All those anthocyanopigment-rich foods, those nitrate-rich foods, and then things like the bromelain, right? That's there in that pineapple core in particular, all of these to reduce inflammation to help your body to heal faster, yeah? Because the sooner that we can heal, the sooner we get back to function and full performance and quality of life. So there is this very distinct overlap between preventing degenerative diseases of the knee, like the knee osteoarthritis and avascular necrosis, as well as helping to manage chronic pain in the joint related to previous surgeries or injuries. That's with the whole adipokine and the arachidonic acid cascade. And then also with them helping with more acute issues like a meniscus tear or ligament injury, whether it be in the rehabilitative phase, because as you're rehabbing, remember, you want to maximize again, nutrient and oxygen delivery to those structures. Just like also, if we have surgery, as I mentioned, you want to maximize the nutrient and oxygen delivery to facilitate maximum healing in the most rapid way possible. So whether it be for prevention, chronic dysfunction, or acute issues, nutrition needs to be at the heart of your knee health. When you think about that knee health, I want you to go back to this basic pyramid of care that I've shared with you, right? Make sure that that foundational nutrition is being checked every day. And don't fool yourself, right? If you're saying, oh, Dr. Esther, I know I eat my salad. And really what you're having is a little anemic, you know, plate of iceberg lettuce. Uh, no, that's not it, right? Make sure that your salads look like Chef AJ's big, voluptuous, loaded with massive quantities of deep greens, you know, so much so that you're having to, you know, eat it in, you know, installments, right? But, uh, you know, lots of those greens throughout the day, et cetera, your blues, your purples, your reds, et cetera. And then, you know, the nutrition goes incredibly well, of course, with the other aspects of your life. Yeah. Which is going to be that movement. We need to be working the lateral hips, right? All the sideline leg lifts and clamshells and some general gentle monster walks. I think we should do a, uh, an exercise class today, one of these sessions. Um, but you know, all the preventive stuff for the knees in particular is to maintain your quad strength and maintain your lateral hip strength, which you can do every day simply by doing your lateral hip raises, right? 30, 40 of them, two, rep two sets of 30 or so, uh, building up to resistance from there. Um, that's a great place to start along with some gentle wall slides, wall squats, depending upon your level of fitness and whether you already have any injuries to the knees. Don't forget, if you need help with your knee pain, make sure you've got the accurate diagnosis, right? So some things require different treatments. So the person I saw the other day who had this stress fracture of their knee after a fall, they didn't necessarily need 
All right, physical therapy. They needed to be on crutches along with excellent nutrition to maximize blood flow and get the knee to heal. Or the person who has a chronic issue with their knee that might need platelet-rich plasma or stem cells with me or some other treatment. And as I mentioned, there are the indications for surgery as well. So continue to maximize your nutrition. The good news is the things you're doing to prevent death from heart attack, stroke, or cancers are also the type of nutrition that is excellent for your joints. So with that, I'm going to close and uh, move back to some questions and see if we have any good questions with regards to knee pain and nutrition or other aspects of health. Well, first question is, where'd you go to art school? Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you and Dr. Lyle are hilarious with you. No, they're very good. <laughs> I knew right away that was the knee. You, you know, you always say that extra weight is like something like three or 10 pounds of extra pressure to your joints. How, how, do, how do you know that? Like, how was that even figured out? Yeah, so they did these uh, physics uh, studies. And in the physics studies, they essentially like, this is the pelvis, like a triangle. And then you've got the joint coming down. We had to do all these. And then there's another, you know, isosceles triangle in here. And that, so it all, it's all measurements in physics of the actual weight and the loading. Uh, but yes, and it's influenced, of course, by the width of your pelvis, the narrowness of your knees, where they are in that relationship. So those ladies out there who have more wider pelvises and more narrow knees that come together, it's even more important that they're looking at their weight and addressing it and strengthening the lateral hip musculature than let's say the person who has more of a neutral alignment that they're just born with. And again, that's an aspect of the genetics. So just like we get our lipo A and AVO B and our cholesterol levels and all this checked for our heart, when it comes to your joints, you wanna be able to look in the mirror and understand a little bit more about your biomechanical risk factors. Uh, and so again, for the knee, if you've got more of a neutral stance with your joints straight up and down from hip, knee, ankle, great, that's healthier for your knees. But if you were born with more of your knees coming in, a little knock-kneed, uh, you have a higher risk of degenerating your knees at an earlier rate. That's interesting. So we have a bunch of questions that were submitted in advance and many of them on topic. And then there's also some in the chat, which hopefully we'll have time to get to. Uh, she's in her mid seventies told she needs a total knee replacement due to bone on bone osteoarthritis, but a poor candidate for surgery, tried injections and bounce of oral steroid to help help with mobility and pain. When on oral steroids, pain improved 75%. Are there options like physical medicine and rehab? Um, what are realistic expectations food-wise in terms of improvement? Yeah. So I, number one, I'm sorry you're hurting. That is no fun whatsoever. Uh, number two, you want to make sure you have the right diagnosis and that truly your x-rays demonstrate lo complete loss of space. Because sometimes doctors uh, will tell patients you're bone on bone. I go look at the x-rays and I go, they've got moderate border not advanced. They're not end stage. Because if you're end stage OA, then you're, with regards to the mainstream medicine, your options include, as you mentioned, a total knee replacement. Next options, the various injections, whether they be steroids or gels. And the next options, of course, uh, would be various nerve ablation techniques. So if you truly are bone on bone and you lack range of motion of the knee and the other treatments have been ineffective, you could consider radiofrequency ablation or RFA of the geniculate nerves. Also, you can consider a cryoablation I do called IOVERA, I-O-V-E-R-A. It's a great little procedure. And that will help medial or inner knee pain for up to six months at a time. And it's very safe, a little freezing procedure with a needle uh, that goes to the nerves that feed the inner knee. Now, if your x-rays are not completely compromised, meaning you've still got some space, 
uh, you are a candidate still for some of the other procedures that I do, like platelet-rich plasma or lipogems or bone marrow-derived stem cell. And if you look at the literature, even with people with advanced OA, lipogems, which you can go to the website and look, has over 100 studies um, demonstrating pretty significant benefit for people up to three to eight years at a time. And I've done tons of these in the last 10 years. Um, and my price point is the lowest in the country, I think, because I now have people flying in from California and Alabama and Texas and Cincinnati and whatever to do it with me. So, um, you know, more if you ever want me to look at your x-rays, take a photo of the x-rays and throw in an email to me and you go to essersports.com and I'm happy to take a look and just tell you, are you a candidate for any of the biologics I do? So just a real quick response. Thank you. Okay. Here, um, the, the oh, just real quick though, real quick. Oh, yeah. Nutrition should always be trial though too, like you said, right? So like I had a person the other day, they were bone on bone and I said, you should try excellent nutrition. They did it for about three weeks and they said, I'm already 60% better with regards to their pain. And so they were consuming prior to me, they were consuming large quantities of arachidonic acid, huge amounts of inflammatory animal-based proteins and saturated fats and all this stuff. And when they made massive changes in their nutrition, their pain dropped 60% in just three weeks. So although that is not a miraculous cure, 100% better, it's a heck of a lot better, not to mention, like we've talked about, you're also reducing your risk. So it's a BOGO. You're reducing your risk of heart disease and cancers, et cetera. So definitely try an aggressive plant-based nutrient dense program for about four weeks and see what happens. Great. And cause she's saying she has problems with um, mobility and needs support when walking. So yeah. 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 So okay. yeah, aquatic therapies for exercise and movement, right? Maintaining good balance, good Pilates work, doing a lot of core work, still working your upper body regularly. Uh, you know, all these things are crucial and very important to, to, to do while trying to address those needs. Great. Thank you. And here is another neat question. Let me get to it. My uh, Tina, uh, two weeks ago, I tore my meniscus. The orthopedic doctor gave me an injection for inflammation and pain and encouraged physical therapy. I'm about 50 pounds overweight. I'm 52. I know weight loss will help. Is there anything else I can do to prevent my situ situation from worsening? Do you think I will ever need a knee replacement? What exercises are best? Any information would be helpful. Well, watch this whole presentation. <laughs> That's right. So Im impossible to know, you know, whether you ever need a knee replacement in your life, but certainly the fact that you're carrying 50 pounds of extra weight, if you notice that first slide I put out there, that increases your risk of a knee replacement of almost 500%. So first things first, you, you need to do Chef AJ's or my program, right? For six to eight weeks, drop, you know, 15 to 40 pounds, um, and then continue forward with excellent nutrition. Number two, uh, excellent strengthening around the knee. The majority of people with small meniscal tears, if you do six to 12 weeks of good PT, you become asymptomatic. Number three, if you're still having some mild to moderate pain in the knee after PT, um, but no instability or locking, then you are a candidate for either PRP or lipogems for meniscal tears. And if you look at the studies, very good outcomes. You wanna avoid like the plague, having your knee scoped. Because if you get your knee scoped where they take a portion of the meniscus out, it accelerates arthritis by 300 to 600%. So you know if you get your knee scoped and you're carrying extra weight, that, yeah, you'll probably need a knee replacement at some point, and that's not cool. So you wanna preserve your native meniscus, drop the extra weight, and reduce the inflammation, and improve stability around the joint. Great, thank you. This is from Diane. She said, having had each knee replaced, do I need more of an anti-inflammatory diet? 
certainly not less of one. <laughs> right. You know, the rest of your structures in your body still need those anti-inflammatory foods. And if you have a predilection for osteoarthritis in your joints, uh, you want to slow that process down, right? So if you've had both knees replaced, many people end up then with their hips replaced and then ankle issues and then this. And so you want to make sure you're addressing all of the overlying risk factors that are in your control. Uh, number one, are you carrying extra weight? Number two, are you chronically inflamed secondary to uh, the weight and other aspects of life? Um, you know, number three, are you inadequately strong across structures? Uh, so we want to, you know, check all those boxes, address all of those, uh, because we want to keep all your other joints native. You don't need more titanium in you. So, you know, keep on keeping on with good nutrition and healthy living. Yeah, so funny. My dog had a T, my previous dog had a T, TPLO or something like that. Right. And when she was cremated, that thing that we paid $10,000 for was still in the ashes. <laughs> oh my gosh. <gasps> it was so funny. Anyway, <laughs> gotta laugh, right? Okay. Um, here's uh, Susan says, I get fluid on my knee. I, it actually got so bad one time I was using a walker. Any advice to keep this from recurring? I love to walk two to four miles a day and I want to be able to continue. So what was the first part? Uh, fluid on the knee. Fluid on the knee. Yeah. So kind of getting fluid in the knee can be related to some anatomic injury, like some arthritis on the back of the kneecap or a small meniscus tear. Um, you know, if the fluid is non-painful, certainly you can try to maximize your nutrition, uh, ice the knee down after exercise, wear a elastic brace to compress the area and use high dose turmeric at 1500 milligrams a day and see if that helps decrease that swelling in the knee. If the swelling is too bothersome and doesn't improve with the simple measures I mentioned, um, and also let's not forget getting good knee stability, making sure you're doing some good quad and hamstring strengthening exercises. Uh, but if it doesn't get well with those simple measures, uh, an MRI of the knee would be helpful to see if there's significant anatomic injury. And if it shows some arthritis on the back of the kneecap, then a series of three platelet-rich plasma injections would be likely to get rid of the swelling and pain uh, and could last up to two years. Wow, two years. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, Tracy says her knee started dislocating when she was eight and had her first surgery on her knee to remove cartilage at 23. She feels mm -hmm. she was screwed from birth. Is this hereditary? So you can be born with a very shallow, um, so we were to look from the end of the femur like this, you could see what's is called the trochlea, this area. And so this groove has a certain depth and a certain angle. So if it's nice and deep, the kneecap, which sits in here, stays in the groove. But if that groove, oh, that's not going to work. If that groove is very shallow, so let's say the groove is more like this, now the kneecap is more likely to shift off this way or, or this way. And when it does so, we call that a patellar dislocation. And when it dislocates, the problem is this patella has cartilage and this has cartilage. And as it shears off, it can tear off some of that cartilage. So yes, there's a genetic predisposition, number one. Number two, uh, depending upon how strong the various muscles and ligaments around the knees are, they can allow excess motion. And the problem is once you've dislocated several times, you've kind of stretched out all the soft tissue restraints. So it's more problematic. And yes, it increases your risk of arthritis. What you want to be doing is maximizing the lateral hip strength, the inner quad strength, and then keeping your weight low and then using biologics. The PRP or stem cell can be very good for this, for arthritis you develop from repetitive dislocations. Because otherwise, yes, that can be a real problem. Great. Thank you. 
uh, uh, let's see. Linda says, I'm doing my best. I lost over 80 pounds and a work continued in progress off blood pressure meds. CRP shows inflammation very low, muscle balance hard to undo a lifetime of wear and tear. Number one, I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job. It sounds like you're moving in a positive direction. You've lost some weight. You're getting healthier. So number one is nice clap on the back, high five, et cetera. Number two is keep on keeping on, right? You know, if you're moving in that positive direction, but you're not there yet, great. You are, as you said, a work in progress. And whilst each of us has a past, we all each have a future and we want to make that future the best it possibly can be. So keep up the good work and make sure though, make a little calendar for yourself. If you're finding it hard to get those exercises in on a regular basis, if you're finding it challenging to get enough of the micronutrient rich foods in there uh, daily, make a calendar and check the box every time you achieve it. Good. Thanks. Here's, I saw something. Where did it go? Oh, this was a, well, this is not about the knee, but you know what they say, the knee bone's connected to the hip bone, right? In that song, MJ says, is, can, is there can a labial tear in the hip heal? Uh, so interestingly enough, by the age of 30, as many as 70% of us have labral tears in the hip and don't even know it. Uh, and so this is a commonly demonized structure in the hip. If we want to draw it quickly, we can just to show those of your viewers who are not familiar with it. So the pelvis is, of course, made of a ball and a socket. And where that socket is, there's the socket. There is the hip bone coming in there. Uh, there is a piece of cartilage that sticks out like this that is called the labrum. And it wraps all the way around and deepens the joint. So this ring of cartilage that wraps around the joint like that is fibrocartilage, it's very dense, and you can get a little tear in it. Uh, if an individual has pain deep on the in the groin and in the inner area of the hip that is worse with deep squatting or rotating the hip around into the, you know, what we call adducting and internally rotating, uh, sure, maybe the labrum is the cause of your problem. But otherwise, if you get an MRI and it shows a labral tear and you're over the age of 30, about 70 to 80% of people have labral tears and it's not symptomatic. So the first step is to do excellent rehab around the pelvis and the hip, strengthening these areas for about six weeks. If that's inadequate, then try a diagnostic injection of numbing medicine to the hip, seeing how much of the pain goes away and proving the labrum is the source of pain. If you're still having symptoms despite PT, I have great success using biologics for this, PRP, et cetera. If you're over the age of 25, you do not want surgery for labral tear uh, because you'll just set off arthritis in the joint and you'll be getting your hip replaced by the age of 40. You know, and your last month's talk was all about PRPs and biologics. They should watch that video. I could link yeah. to it. You know? Yeah, I agree. That'd be a good one. Yeah. Uh, are you good at Pictionary? Uh, I like Pictionary. I don't know if you, I'm I bet you are. I'd like to be <laughs> your team. That's for sure. Oh, shoot. I just lost my chat. And I, this is what happens to me. Sometimes I saw some questions. Uh, Will Leslie says, does Zumba exercise with lateral movement cause more damage to a knee? Uh, so great question. And so the other, I'm going to roll into that. The question of does running increase damage to a knee? So, you know, the, the non-runners and the non-exercisers love to see people exercise and they go, they're going to need a knee replacement, <laughs> right? Kind of make themselves feel better about their lack of activity. Uh, but the studies are quite interesting. They say that in a native healthy knee with no major arthritis, that moderate intensity exercise, including running up to about 40 miles per week, which is quite a bit, does not increase the risk of osteoarthritis. 
But if you already have an injured knee, right, with osteoarthritis or an osteochondral defect, then impact activity may accelerate that process. So things like Zumba, right, for example, if you already have a knee that is painful, swollen, et cetera, it's more likely to increase that because the rapid twerking, twisting motions, et cetera, especially when I rotate my hips, when I do my Zumba, right, there's a lot of action going on downstream. And so really though, yes, if you enjoy those activities, but you otherwise have a healthy knee, uh, they do not necessarily increase the risk of knee degeneration. But if you already have some knee issues, you should start with very focused controlled movements in a very balanced controlled way without a lot of uh, unnecessary torquing and rotation while bending and flexing, uh, and then increase the demand progressively. Thanks. Carlene says, can you like name some very specific foods and spices that help? Sure. Uh, all of the berries, right? The blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, all the anthocyanopigment rich foods like uh, beets and red onions. And <laughs> uh, the, all of those all fall into that category, pomegranates, you know, uh, and then all the deep green vegetables, right? We can have Dr. Esselstyn list off the greens like he likes to do. And uh, every single green that's out there, those deep, the deeper the green, the better, uh, increase the amounts of nitric oxide production. And then I like to always throw into this category things like um, pineapple, as I mentioned, loaded with uh, bromelain. Uh, it's also super tasty, so it's yummy to eat. Uh, and then, of course, we have the spices like cinnamon, red pepper, right? Um, the Even black pepper. And all the herbs, when we start getting into basil and oregano, et cetera, these all have potent anti-inflammatory effects. And so we want to be consuming more of these on a regular basis. Chop fresh basil into your salads, uh, steam that kale lightly and enjoy it with your big salad, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Nice. All right. Um, here's a nice comment from... Jill, who's watching live, and she said that besides eating whole food plant-based SOS free, she swims three days a week for an hour, which is strength in the muscle around her knees. And if she yeah. doesn't hurt and it works every part of her body. Yeah, water exercises are great for people that, you know, maybe have excess weight or have, you know, trouble doing things on land, you know? And Absolutely. It feels, feels so nice. Uh, Carling says she hopes you'll show us some more dance moves. Um, here's a question. What causes plica formation in the knee? I had surgery in July to remove it and yeah. currently in PT. PT. Yeah. So a plica is a embryologic tissue in the knee that should have dried up and disappeared. It's some little bit of tissue that is part of the capsule and it should have disappeared uh, when you were born uh, or uh, soon thereafter, several years into life. But in some of us, that uh, sort of natal tissue does not reabsorb. And now you've got this little piece of tissue in the knee uh, that can repetitively get squeezed as you bend and extend the knee. And when it gets pinched, then it gets inflamed and then you get pain. And uh, so hopefully your pain will go away. Um, uh, you know, but certainly that PT is crucial to make sure that you normalize the biomechanics around the joint and that there's not some other issue as well. Nice. And here's a question from Ash. Does applying oil to the knee and then a hot towel rub or steam help with osteoarthritis? It's interesting you ask. There are some studies on the application of topical substances to the knees that do appear, especially in slender individuals, that there is some absorption into the knee. 
uh, even a rather interesting, albeit, you know, kind of you makes you laugh a little bit study that showed that if you took cabbage leaves and taped them to your knee, that there was a positive effect on pain, right? Now, again, it's hard to placebo cabbage leaves. So how much of that was placebo effect or otherwise, but it does appear that there's some absorption that occurs. And so you put the cabbage leaves on and cover it overnight. And they did this study and showed that people's pain improved. There are also a lot of other unique things like applying leeches to people's knees that improve blood flow to the tissues in the area and actually showed a decrease in osteoarthritic pain uh, by applying leeches once every week or so for about 20 minutes. Uh, but the application of various healing, quote unquote, oils uh, to the skin likely can help reduce some pain as we see it with things like Arnica gel, CBD oils and topicals, uh, et cetera. So especially in this more slender individual where these structures are more superficial, uh, topicals can be helpful. They still use leeches? Well, there are studies. Yeah, they now have some interesting medical studies using leeches for that purpose. So in the university setting, but as you might imagine, it's not very popular in the clinical setting at, at this stage. That's funny. So, Anne uh, says, I did Dr. Esser's detox last September, October of 2022. I can't say enough as to how great it is. It works. I highly recommend it. So that oh, was well, nice. Thanks, Anne. Um, what are your, what are you, Apple wants to know, what are your thoughts on a mini stepper for exercise? And other people were asking about rebounding for the knee. Right. I think that, uh, you know, the mini steppers can work on balance, they can work on coordination, and they can work on calf strength, and they can work on some quad strength if done well. Uh, so I think, you know, if you enjoy a mini stepper, and it doesn't flare up your pain, that's fine. Uh, just kind of be conscientious of your posture on the mini stepper, right? That you're maintaining good upright posture as you're going, not that you're rounding your shoulders and bending forward, losing good posture. Uh, and, uh, and again, just being conscientious, um, you know, how do your knees feel when you do it, but I think it can get you some good strength. Uh, rebounders are nice. I, a lot of people seem to enjoy them. And so I have no problem with rebounders. Um, you know, I don't necessarily sell rebounders, but I think it's a, it's a nice way to work out and exercise a bit and, you know, varies some of the pressures across the joints and many people enjoy it. So I'm fine right. with that. And there's a question, if you can elaborate on what you mean by muscle balance. Yeah. So every single uh, joint in our body has pullers and pushers, right? So you think about my finger right here. I've got my flexor tendons on this side and I've got my extensor tendons on this side. If they're adequately balanced, the hand should have a relatively normal sort of pattern, how it just sits like this. You'll notice it's in slight flexion. My fingers are slightly flexed. But if I, let's say, tear the extensor tendon off the back, now this one finger will just go down and the flexors will dominate the movement of that hand. Likewise, if I tear my flexor tendon, my finger will go up into extension, just kind of sit there and I won't be able to flex it. Uh, that is similar to while the knee is. The knee has the quads on the front, the hamstrings on the back, and they have to be balanced as far as the amount of pull and tug. So many people have inadequate balance between these two sides of the knee. And as a result, there's now uneven force pulling across the structure. Imagine two gears. The gears may look great, but if they're not lined up just right, the gears are going to chafe on each other. And as a result, they're going to damage the metal and lead to early wear of the gears. In the same way with your knee, studies show us that if your medial or inner quad is not strong enough, that you're going to have early degeneration of your joints of the knee. Likewise, if the lateral hip is not strong enough. So for example, a little test you can do, stand on one leg, and try to squat halfway down. If as you squat, you notice that your knee goes in, 
And that means that your quads are inadequately strong. You should be able to keep your hips, your knees, and your ankles in alignment as you squat. If instead you notice the knee goes in as you squat down halfway on one leg, the lateral hip's not strong enough. Another simple test you can do is stand on a stair facing down the stairs and step down off the stair onto the bottom of the stairway, right? And if immediately you notice your knee goes in a little bit, inadequate lateral hip strength, right? So just kind of look for that. That's a very simple measure of are the lateral hips and the inner quads strong enough to stabilize the knee and maintain normal alignment? If not, you're going to get early wear on the back of the kneecap and over the lateral joint, and that's going to lead to the arthritic changes. Nice. Paul was saying, what about somebody that's allergic to pineapple? Is there something as good you could recommend? Well, I don't think that bromelain is the you know be all end all of inflammation in the body. Uh, I just think it's a nice taste and most people enjoy it. But if you're allergic, just continue to consume all the other food substances we mentioned, all those berries and all the greens, adding in all those spices, et cetera. And you're still going to have very powerful positive effects. Great. All right. Let's see if there's any more questions. Ah, bum. Nice. Okay. Do you, what do you think about things that people wear? Are those helpful? Like I see people like at the gym always like there's these like, like some are short little bands, some are like, are those helpful or harmful when you have knee problems to be wearing like those things? Yeah, the different braces. So, you know, the majority of the positive effect of braces uh, come down to proprioception. So proprioception is your body's awareness of in, in a position in space. And that proprioceptive feedback is essentially giving your brain a little bit more of an awareness so that you're like keyed into the knee. So you're moving a little bit more stably and strongly. In addition, the knee braces that give pressure in the area, that pressure gives feedback to the brain that blocks some of the pain signals. Uh, this is based on the gate theory of pain that says that when you have pain, right, if you put pressure in the area, it decreases the experience of pain. Like if you bang your elbow on something, the first thing you do is grab it and rub it. And you're doing that because the fibers that feel pressure actually send information faster to the brain than pain fibers, and they block out the pain signaling. Very interesting. So when you have a tight, you know, elastic brace on your knee, you're giving this positive feedback to the brain, kind of saying, hey, you're okay, you're all right. At the end of the day, the goal is to strengthen the muscles around the joints so that they are creating a brace effect so that you don't need this artificial elastic brace. Now the bracing can also produce, so three things, it gives a little bit of warmth in the area, which increases, you know, blood flow, et cetera. It, you know, maintains a little bit of stability and it also gives proprioceptive feedback. But for the majority of people, the majority of the time, I want them to improve the strength around the joint, not try to compensate with just a random knee brace. Uh, the, the rare exception to that is the person who has an acute injury, like an MCL tear, or the person who has, you know, is post-surgical, obviously, or a person who has significant loss of joint space on one side or the other, lateral or medial, we call it, I might put them in an unloader brace, it's called, that opens up that lateral side that's worn down. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I'm not a huge proponent of bracing the majority of the time. Right. And one more question. This is from Al. Does, are there certain shoes you could recommend or orthotics that would help people with chronic knee pain? Yeah, really matters on the, like you said, the what the knee bone is connected to, right? So if your hips are having that sort of this motion in toward the knees and or if you are flat footed or high arched in your feet, that can heavily influence the forces back upstream through the knees. So you, uh, my usual recommendation is to swing by a good running store that is well recommended, that has people who know what the heck they're doing, 
and have them evaluate your feet and kind of look at the shoe wear that they offer and have um, and match it up. If you've got significant flat feet with over pronation, what's going to happen is it's going to throw your knees into malalignment and then you're going to wear the outside of the knee faster than the inside. So yeah, the fix for that might be some medial heel wedges, right? And some appropriate modification of the shoe wear, but this is going to be very person dependent, right? And so kind of being seen by a professional, uh, like a physical therapist who does running evaluations, et cetera, or a you know good running shoe store, I think either one would be helpful. And weighted vests for walking, that'll be your last. Yeah, I mean, weighted vests for walking are great for improving osteoporosis for generalized fitness and conditioning. But if you already have knee pain and knee osteoarthritis, all you're doing is increasing your load through the joints. So that's mm. not helpful. So you just want to be, you know, what to, you don't, you don't want to, you know, do one thing that harms you in another way. So, but if you have no major knee issues and you just want good, you know, additional resistance, you know, through your limbs, then a weighted vest is outstanding. But if you already have knee osteoarthritis, you know, uh, then we need to figure out other ways to kind of condition without that. You a fan of CBD for the knee or for any reason? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think so topicals, uh, you know, I think I'm okay with, for some people they seem magical, but it does very much seem to be dependent upon the type and the company and the, you know, the derivation because they don't all seem to work for people. Um, and then the use of, you know, marijuana products, like straight up, like, you know, smoking weed, I'm worried about neurocognitive function over time and neural slowing, uh, just that it does yeah. seem to have that effect. We, we did a people. show about that with Dr. Yeah. Um, Rogers, where it was called, does marijuana make you stupid? Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just makes me nervous, you know, cause I've seen so many people that, you know, they just aren't quite the same as they were. And I'm like, what's going on? Um, you know, the ointments, the orals, you know, that you put under the tongue, things like that. For some people, they do seem to be quite powerful. We're also now seeing some data coming out on some of the micro dosing of mushrooms, right? The, the sibens, et cetera. Uh, all of these appear to have positive effects. We just want to make sure we're not putting the horse before the cart. And that like you saw with my slide I had up, we are maximizing the foundation first. The foundation of your health needs to be the nutrition, needs to be the exercise, and then moving upstream into the supplements, the pharmaceuticals, the injectables, the smokables, the whatever it might be. But everybody watching this show should make sure, you know, don't skip, don't skimp, right, on what you really need to be working on which is the foundational stuff. That is the nutrition, because I have so many people I see, they're still hitting McDonald's and they're still going out for this and that and the other. And then they're like, why does my knee still hurt? Where is my psilocybin, right? Where's my CBD? Where's this? I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. Let's clean up what is the most foundational aspect of your health first. And then we go to this other stuff. Great, thanks so much. This was a fabulous presentation. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Chef uh, AJ. Thank Bye, you. everybody. Oh, wait, wait, happy Thanksgiving. I won't see you till afterwards. Are you doing the, the cooking for your family? Uh, my wife and I were just talking about that today. We're going to come up with some fun stuff that I'm sure we'll probably post online. But uh, yeah, I've already started making my cranberry sauce. It's my famous cranberry sauce that I like so oh, much. Oh, I can't wait. I always yeah. watch. I love watching your food photos on Instagram. Awesome. Well, bye thanks, all. Thanks, Dr. Esther. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 10 a.m. for The Rock. Dr. Rock Jatwani, that is. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.